Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Having a scarcity mindset can make or break a business. So that is our little prelude of what we have for you in store today. Welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes with DailyStretch.com. This is your host, June Rumley. We have not one, but two special ladies with us today who are going to speak to us on the dangers of having scarcity mindset in business and how it can be detrimental if not addressed. On my uh, right, we have Lena Patel of Refma Consultancy Consulting, who is based in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, while on my left is Wellington based Mary O'Kefi from Greater Than. I, I hope I got your last name correct. Um, a bit of background about both ladies. Let's start with Patel. Patel is a facilitator and collaborating collaboration designer who creates timely, respectful, and power illiterate ways of being, knowing, and doing. Her role when dealing with businesses is to help them elevate needless workplace suffering. Meanwhile, Mary is an experienced coach, facilitator, educator, and network weaver. She has delivered work, coach teams in the government, tech startups, private small businesses, social enterprises, and impact-driven ecosystems. So, um, so without further ado, we're going to bring in both ladies and start the discussion. So uh, welcome to you both. Thank you so much, Lena, for joining us today from Melbourne and Mary okay. from Wellington. So how are you, Lena? I am doing super well, June. Thank you so much for having us along today for this conversation. Really excited. Awesome. And what about you, Mary? Hi, June. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I'm really well. It's the middle of the day here in Wellington. So, yeah, looking forward to this chat very much. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, we're going to dive right into the question. So, um, so, Lena, just tell us a bit about yourself and what do you do? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm here as part of the Greater Than team. Um, based in Melbourne, I'm a facilitator and a collaboration designer. Um, essentially what that means is I work with organisations um, <clears throat> when they want to bring people together to achieve um, something. So within an organisational context, it can be anything around a change they're wanting to make and that can be kind of a long range thing or, or even something over a shorter period. Um, Mary will do a much better job of explaining how we work um, at uh, Greater Than and the sorts of um, changes that we are particularly focused in supporting organisations with. Awesome. Okay, Mary, um, so what about you? Tell us a bit about yourself and yeah. the work. Thanks, June. Um, yeah, so kia ora. My name is Mary O'Keefe. Um, I am a partner at Greater Than. Um, my day-to-day -day roles uh, are, are many things, but I think primarily um, I walk alongside, along with the, the Greater Than team, organizations who are interested in exploring alternative ways of working. Um, we do that work with our clients um, from a position of coaching, leadership coaching, team coaching, um, introducing new collaboration practices, new collaboration tools, um, all with uh, this idea in mind that um, 
what we're we're ultimately enabling is more participative uh, ways of organizing within our our organizations. Um, we are a distributed team. We're a remote first team, so we have people in Australia like Lena, um, and we also have team members across Canada, uh, the US. Uh, across a lot of uh, European countries. Um, and so, yeah, we support clients all over the world, basically, uh, to do to do work in new ways of working and primarily those who are interested in different working paradigms, paradigms such as self-managing uh, organizations. Um, and yeah, that's that's really sort of the, the work that we do. Lots of really talented, amazing people within Greater Than, I have to say, humbled by the lot of them. Awesome. So it looks like you are the boss uh, partner, right? <laughs> uh, I was curious. I was curious, like, how do you recruit um, coaches? Like, um, how do you recruit them? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you might have. I, I laughed when you suggested I was the boss. Uh, there's, there's no such thing really at Greater Than. Um, so we are, we're a, a self-organizing team um we don't have a concept of bosses uh the role of partners within greater than there are six of us uh, our job is really to just steward the organization and make sure that our our practices our onboarding practices how we relate to one another how we um i guess present ourselves in the world is, is stewarded effectively by by the six of us um uh partnership is not something that uh you have to be to have bestowed upon you like it might be the case in in certain more traditional organizations anybody who's been an associate of greater than for a period of time can step into a partnership role if they so feel called um uh our recruitment process is also an interesting one i guess it, it wouldn't be what you would typically describe as a as a traditional recruitment process a lot of the people that uh join uh greater than come through channels that are usually uh they are known to us you know to an individual or maybe you know many of the the team members at greater than and generally will want to move into the organization because they do work that is quite similar to ours they're quite values aligned um and they're also individuals who in their own uh businesses i guess have been experimenting for many years with alternative ways of working alternative ways of organizing and so uh we're yeah we're, we're sort of we we seem to be have people drawn to us that um that recognize that there are alternative paradigms to the way that we work um and are excited by that and have been and have been working in that space sometimes on their own for many years that was that was true of me you know i was sort of out in the wilderness on my own for a while uh, before before I kind of joined joined lots of other like-minded people. So how many coaches do you have? Wow, uh, currently we probably have about, we have probably seven or eight, maybe nine, ten people who self-identify as coaches, both leadership coaches, organizational and team coaches. Um, but then we have a lot of people who would be sort of kind of spanning the, the sort of the threshold between consulting and coaching. Um, we also have uh, a psychologist uh, within the team. So, um, you know, she'd be sort of on the, the place where therapy and coaching uh, sort of intersect. So yeah, we're, many of us are, are on the spectrum, if you like, um, and practice lots of different things as coaching is, is one of the, the skills, I guess, that we bring.
Okay, great. So yeah. that's the business side of things. So um, I just wanted to ask you, so the specialty with your uh, greater than organization is basically a business, right? You, you work with business and you help them um, go through the barriers that's stopping them from getting, you know, from A to Z or becoming greater than what they were from yesterday. So, and also I've met, I kind of like found out that, you know, you work with businesses, you coach them on their mindset. So, uh, and it was something to do with scarcity mindset. So basically, like, just give us a lowdown. Um, what is scarcity mindset? I'm going to invite Lena um, okay. <laughs> to, to, to maybe just answer this. As we were uh, prepping for today's conversation, she said something to me this morning that made my spine tingle. So now I'm going to invite her to share it with you because it was, uh, yeah, it was it, it was quite striking, I think. So I, this was uh, this thought occurred to me as I was making my cup of coffee this morning. Um, uh, broadly speaking, if uh, for you know any of your listeners who aren't familiar with the concept of a scarcity mindset, it's essentially where you. Um, operate in the world with the sense that there isn't enough to go around um, and so what that can lead to is um, being very protective of what you have um, not being as generous with what you have in terms of sharing um, it tends to be the thing that underlies um, uh, when people operate with a very competitive mindset and and if they can't um, if they can't sort of celebrate other people's wins because they see other people's wins as their loss. So scarcity mindset is sort of operating with this idea that um, there isn't enough to go around and that when you do gain something, you have to sort of hoard it and, and secure it and that it's not really available to um, share generously with others. And that can be about material objects or uh, around time, or around relationships, around all sorts of things. Um, and the thought that occurred to me this morning was that um, what we notice in our work is that um, that the sort of the scarcity mindset is um, is misplaced in that in general, uh, rather than treating natural non-renewable resources as scarce and sort of treating the you know the, the natural world and how we operate with um, natural resources as scarce because um, the reality is that those things are scarce. Instead, we think that things like relationships and ideas um, are scarce and that we need to kind of hoard and protect those. So a lot of the work that we do is, I suppose, um, you know, part of our work is around being respectful of the, the limitations of kind of planet Earth um, and, and sort of trying to, um, yeah, live and operate and run our businesses in a way that that isn't depleting our natural resources you know down to the ground um, and instead kind of think about well those things are scarce and it's appropriate to think of those things as scarce but what isn't scarce is actually people's potential like the potential of your team members the ideas that they bring um, and the energy that they bring um, so that's kind of the, uh, yes, there's a scarcity mindset, but we wish it was focused on natural resources rather than on the potential of people in workplaces. So that's kind of our sort of current sort of take on, um, on the scarcity mindset. Um, does that answer your question around what we mean by the scarcity mindset? 
Yeah, so it's a problem that every businesses face. So would workplace uh, jealousy, like if someone gets um, promoted yep. over you, even though you've been in the organization way more longer than the other person, is that scarcity mindset? Ah, that's interesting. At an individual level, yeah. Mary, how? Yeah, yeah, that, that is an interesting one. I I mean, I guess you, you could say yes, because... It, it probably, I mean, from the perspective that, that we sort of come from and, and certainly the, I guess, the themes or the patterns that we see in, in organizations that seem to recur again and again. One of the things that we do is uh, greater than is, is, to, is to kind of step back a little bit and go, well, okay, if people are behaving this way within the organization, if these patterns are present and they're consistent and they are the, the way we are, the way we work, what we're really most curious about in greater than I think is actually understanding what are the systemic elements that make up the cultures within those sorts of organizations. And one of the things that you know has become pretty evident to us over the many years that we've all been working in, in both distributed organizations and a lot of the work we do in greater than, particularly when we're exploring new ideas, we'll work on ourselves. We'll try these techniques. We'll explore these questions and conversations internally before we, um, before we introduce them to clients. But one of the things that we're definitely seeing is, is sort of the story of what our organizations have been for the last 50, 100 years, you know? And it is, it's been a story that was, was fashioned during the industrial age um, when the the sense of the individual and how the individual shows up in the workplace is a very particular story you know and it is a story of uh individualism it is a story of competition it is a story of as lena said earlier you know people fighting for the limited um resources that are available and by resources in this context i don't mean people i don't refer to people as resources we're humans um but in that context it's it's really sort of thinking about what if in a complex world we acknowledge that the way to sense into complexity can only be done together you know so if you think of complex adaptive systems in nature if you think of migrating birds if you think of bees um, the patterns of behavior in complex adaptive systems and humans are animal complex adaptive systems is really to work together. It's to sense together. It's to take each of the individuals within the system, but know that every single person has a perspective to bring. Their perspective will be unique. And this idea that if you create space within your organizations to hear the individuals as a collective that that's a great way to build resilience within your organizations and i think it's that understanding that's at the heart of what we do you know if you think of um if you think of greater than there's actually a a really cool graphic on our on, on our website which shows a venn diagram and you know it's that understanding the system not the technology system but the ecosystem and how that marries with understanding and building capacity in us as individuals and so in those two pieces intersecting together is really where greater than works it's in you know building system awareness and helping organizations to understand and see their system 
because then when you can see it, you'll never see all of it. That's impossible. Okay. But for the parts that are obvious, that could be made more explicit, you can start making decisions about how you are when you have that uh, knowledge. Okay. And just just to pick up on on what Mary was uh, saying to amplify that by system we mean the the context the context mm -hmm. in which you're operating which includes other organisations and other people and other factors that are you know all kind of influencing your particular organisation that um, an organisation doesn't necessarily have a hard boundary line around it based on who is on the payroll and who's not on the payroll yeah. that as a collection of people you're all influenced by you know, policy and regulation and the specific location you work and the market that you're in and your customers or clients or so all of these things, when we say understanding the system, it's about having a, a broader sense of, of where you fit in to the bigger picture of whatever whatever your work is. Okay, so um, for the benefit of the listeners, right, can we dumb it down into an example? of uh, maybe a case that you just worked, the both of you worked on, uh, on an organization level, probably an SME level, not too many people. So what is it that you help you go in and what is it that you help break or change or whatever? Great. Um, I can pick this up and, and Lena, feel free to jump in. Um, I guess the approach that we take usually with our clients, be they large or small, um, across any any sector is is one where we uh, we go through an exploration stage or a discovery stage, um, and usually in that it's really it's about us getting to know you, the client, and vice versa, ways of working, um, you know, understanding needs, getting a sense of really what challenges I guess um, or what hopes and dreams you might have as an organization. And so we tend to be brought in primarily by founders, um, very often executive level. Uh, but we will also, I mean, we, we, you know, there are many entry points into the teams that we work with. Um, so then what we will do, you know, sort of following or as part of uh, that exploration is look for ways to help the organization to see itself. And so what we will usually do in that context is as we're in the discovery phase, we will be looking for opportunities to run what we call experiments um, that are designed with the organization in mind. So all of the work that we do is in a co-designed way, right? So we won't come in and say, you need to do this, tick this box. Um, that's, that's not the way we approach our work at all. Um, so then what we'll tend to do is, is begin a sort of a journey of the idea with an experiment is you are looking for opportunities to see how the organization responds to potentially a new way of working, potentially a new practice of working. Maybe we'll introduce a collaboration tool. And what you're doing when you actually um, set up that experiment and experiments are always bounded you know they don't tend to go on for very long periods of time but what you're doing is you're putting these probes um, into the organization to see what sort of feedback you're getting from the organization you know is this a good idea is this something that's exciting people is this something people want to get behind generally speaking if you get that response about potentially changing an element or many elements of how you work 
that's normally an organization that is responding in a positive way to this change that you're proposing. Um, very often, the change proposed is a combination of the skills, the tools, the practices that we bring from working this way for over 10 years, alongside with all of the knowledge and all of the wisdom that already exists in the organization. So it's a sort of a marriage of those two things. The, the experiments are designed with that in mind. Um, once experiments are showing that they look like they're actually a good idea, that they're healthy, that they're not going to impact the organization in a, in a negative way, uh, we tend to amplify those. So look for ways and opportunities within the organization to amplify what's already producing a positive effect and is having a, a you know a good, healthy, positive effect. There are numerous situations where we go, oh no, the timing might be wrong for this, or this isn't what people want, or this is causing too much disruption right now. Maybe we need to just stop this particular path and look for alternatives. So you're in this continuous cycle always of continuously dropping experiments in, getting the feedback, embedding practices if they look like they work. Because I mean, the reality, June, and you know, you'll you'll know this, and I'm sure Alina has countless examples. Every single organization is different. Every single organization has different needs, um, and so this idea that you can pick up and plonk down a template that will uh, produce the same results in every organization is is just naive. So that's interesting, you know, because um, we were just out of, I mean, we're still in a pandemic, but you know, in the early stages, a lot of companies they went really hard on the vaccine thing. Mm -hmm mandated it, if you don't get a vaccine, you will get uh, booted out of the company and a, a few people lost their jobs because of that. So some companies, they don't engage um, your services and do this kind of experiments. They just change the rules uh, within a day. What's the effect on that? Like we know like, you know, it's my company, I'm paying you the salary. Why should I like go through the motions of getting feedback? You know, you're supposed to, you're, as an employee, you're told, you're, you're paid to, told, to do what we ask you to do. So what is your <laughs> feedback on that? Like, you know? Lena, I'm conscious I've been using <laughs> lots of words. No, no, no quite <laughs> okay, like some quite space? okay, Mary. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, I suppose the, you know, kind of the, with the, the vaccine example, I mean, our perspective on that might be that we, we do value public health measures. And so sometimes um, taking action, you know, individual action, that's for collective good, 100% on board with that. Um, I guess there's, you know, there's an interesting way even in how you framed that question, you know, I'm paying you, so you should do what I want you to. Um, I suppose in, in, in the kind of ways of working that we are, um, advocating um, we would uh, the nature of that working relationship is it, we wouldn't even define it in that way we would be sort of looking to say well is there a value exchange happening there so it isn't that the company or the uh, or the business owner owns the people so it's that they are there for a for a fair value exchange so you know i rock up with my skills and talents and energy and enthusiasm and my time and my attention and that is a really valuable thing to for for somebody to kind of offer to 
anyone's business and that and, and in exchange for that that the the business owner is is um, paying them a fair wage and you know all, all of that sort of stuff so I guess in in our um, when we when we think about working even the nature of that working relationship is something that um, we uh, support businesses to shift and change um, so that there is a sort of a fair value exchange there and that the people who do show up and are coming to your to your you know your business to to do whatever it is that you're doing uh, are there um, wholeheartedly um, and they're not going home and tallying up a resentment bill um, which they're going to, you know, who knows who they issue that resentment bill to, but that there's there's a bit more of a, um, yeah, a, a bit more of a sort of a generosity back and forth um, as people are um, showing up to work. Um, so um, I think there's kind of like a piece in here that, um, uh, you know, we're hoping to kind of move people towards these different ways of thinking about their work and their working relationships and also supporting leaders in how they think about their roles. Like what does it mean to be a business owner or a leader in an organisation? Um, Mary, are you able to kind of speak a little bit more on this kind of the, the leadership styles thing? Because, yeah, I think mm. June's given us such a beautiful launching point into, sure, that's one way you can think about your, your employees um, what might be other ways, Mary? Yeah, yeah. It's thanks, thanks, Lena. I mean, I what really what really came up for me, June, when you when you framed that question was, and I I see it all the time, and we see it all the time at Greater Than. It's it's and again, it's part of understanding the context and part of understanding what's actually going on in this moment. When, as a leader in the organization, I am bringing my leadership, you know. Um, being of service and one of the things and I think particularly in the pandemic you know and we saw it everywhere and and completely understandably you know compassionately saw saw it everywhere we you know the whole world was in what I guess when you you think about complexity theory was in was in this sort of chaotic moment um, and there's a wonderful uh, there's a wonderful decision-making framework that is, was developed by a chap called Dave Snowden many years ago um, and I was fortunate enough to study with Dave a number of years back but I use his model every day when I work with organizations because it's it feels like it uh, makes sense in the context of the world and so you know what Dave would say in the context of the unknowable you know we can't predict the future um, in that sort of space you're you're looking at sort of the complex you know the complex world that we live in the complex adaptive system that our that our organizations are and there are particular types of leadership styles that are really effective and and almost would be good to be the dominant types of leadership in complex environments and the the style of leadership that you're looking for in a complex environment is a leader who supports and understands that if the organization has an opportunity. Individuals in the organization have an opportunity to add their skills, their um, what they notice into the middle of the conversation that the organization will be better placed to deal with the complexity that faces it. And I think, you know, when we think about the pandemic, the type of leadership that uh, was called for in many cases in any chaotic situation is is actually you know quite an authoritative style of leadership 
in the case of an emergency, we can't have many people trying to decide together collectively what the best decision might be if the building is on fire. And so to have an individual take charge and say, this is what we do in this situation is actually quite an appropriate style of leadership in that particular context. And I think one of the, I suppose, invitations to leaders all over the world now that the pandemic is starting to shift, you know, we are starting, I don't even know what the definition of normal is anymore, but as we come out of the pandemic, to almost relax, <laughs> you know, that the need to hold tightly to that way of being is starting to relax. And, you know, so what does shifting more into a leadership style that is appropriate in sensing complexity? Because I think, you know, when I look at the opportunities that have been afforded as a result of the pandemic, I don't know that we're even tapping in potentially to what we could be doing as a way um, of organizing ourselves, of engaging people within the organization, of you know developing skills and talents and strengths. Because I think the other thing that's probably worth mentioning is, is just even our understanding of what leadership is as a greater than organization. Um, when we think of leaders, we don't think of people at the top of a pyramid who tell everyone um, what to do, or even people at the top of a pyramid who support others to make decisions about the organization or you know, to, to have agency and autonomy within their work. There's a central sort of idea that every single one of us has a potential to lead in a particular situation, in a particular context, based on who we are and our talents and our experience and our strengths and that and that we can you know that sort of sense of dynamic leadership you know bringing your leadership you have to create containers in an organization or scaffolding as we call it in an organization to to have people step into their leadership um, if you don't create those spaces people have nowhere to step in Awesome, awesome answer. So, okay, let's, um, I just wanted to find out more about how someone engages you. So say if a Commonwealth Bank is interested to tap into your services, so take us through the motions, right, on how they, uh, and how they can approach you first. What, what entails in the discussion, like how do you find out what kind of help they need? And I, from what I gather, I guess this business is a tailored, the cost is tailored according to the needs of each businesses, right? So the, there is no fixed cost. It depends on what you need. And also how you come up with that cost, like the costing, right? You know, is it an hourly thing or is it based on the experience of the coach? Like maybe if the coach is 20 years old and she's got a Harvard degree, you pay more for that. Like what is, what's, how do you do this? Like, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I mean, we have we have different pricing approaches, so that's really interesting. You know, yeah. even amongst us as a as a collective, we have different yeah. pricing approaches. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Mary, do you want to talk through kind of? Well, firstly, they can visit our website, greater than dot works with an S on the end. Um, but Mary, how once once people have made first contact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
what ensues yeah thank you um <laughs> thank you and i'm i'm chuckling because you've just exploded a money money conversation in my brain but i will i will i'll pause that for a moment um so yeah lena's absolutely right like most people uh they'll either come to us through word of mouth um either because we have worked with uh, other organizations and they know the story they're excited they want to um, engage us so that's definitely one way that a lot of our, our work comes in uh and another way our work comes in is actually through the teams uh the, the actual greater than team itself so again the individuals because we are all individual um businesses if you like that come together to work to work on projects so a lot of our work will come in in that way also so if you do contact us through uh hello at greater than dot works um the first thing that you will do we have uh, a first responder if you like um and you will uh, yeah there'll be an email uh, conversation with you um then what we tend to do is we will pull together um, either, we usually work in pairs or more. We don't tend to work as individuals. Um, it's sort of one of the one of the advantages of being a collective is that, and we know that we're greater than the sum of our parts. So as much as possible, we tend to work in pairs as, as, a, as a sort of a, a co-lead situation. Um, we will then have a conversation with you, get a, a sense of what it is you're looking for, what you need. Um, we, I think by and large, virtually all of the work that we're doing at the moment tends to be with individuals and with organizations who have a sense that there is a better way of working. Okay, so I think what we don't do is work with organizations that want to continue working in the way that they do. Okay, so that's probably, that distinction is probably really important. Um, so then what we will do is we will uh, have that initial conversation and then we'll have a sense from that conversation what kind of engagement we're likely to have with you as a an organization and at that point internally we will start pulling together uh, a potential team it may be that the exploration uh, stage is slightly longer in which case you might continue with the the pair that has has paired up and then maybe one or two others uh, but ultimately, what we will try to do is, is meet your needs with the people that we have available um, at that time. We, we share many, many similar you know, skills and we share many similar levels of experience. So we are we're very able to sort of you know, cross, cross interchange, etc. Um, how we price work is, yes, definitely based on the individual. And then how we... Um, how we agree internally around the pricing of that work um, will depend on project by project, but we don't we don't pay ourselves salaries uh, at greater than. We have a um, practice which we call happy money stories. Um, so for the team that works on the projects, we get together, once the project is either finished or if we're paid on a monthly basis and through a happy money conversation we distribute the funds that have come into greater than based on contribution based on the needs of individuals on the team at the time so um an example of a need might be i have a um an electricity bill that is three times larger than i thought it might be this month um 
and I need some support financially. I need some support. So that will all be added to the mix. Um, and then we will use a um, consent-based decision-making process to distribute the funds. Wow, that's great. So am I right to say that everyone is working on a volunteer basis at the moment? No. We work for money. <laughs> we work for money. So well, I mean, I guess to, to expand on what um, how you know what Mary was explaining, rather than than um, having a fixed salary and and getting a fixed paycheck every week or month or however often people you know get paid, um, instead it's it's project based. So much like if you're a solo consultant, you earn your money when you sell a project. Um, but the way we divide that money up, so particularly because we work as team, there's always there's always two of us on some at a minimum two, and expanding out from that, um, because there's always more than one of you. The amount that um, how you split that amount is is a conversation that happens between the people who are working on that project. So we're not working on daily rates. We're not we're not buying each other's time. We don't we don't we're not kind of commodities. Our time is not a commodity in that way. So it's about the value that you have delivered. And it may be that you you may have done a, a what may seem like a small easy thing for you didn't take much time, but for the rest of the team, that that thing you did made a massive difference. So it may have been I don't know you you maybe only were involved in one meeting. But your contribution in that one meeting made a really big difference to the the whole project for that month or for you know the, for the life of the project. So that value would be recognised. So it's we, we we don't sell our time in that sense. And so that's kind of another thing which is like a different way of working because we have a different kind of relationship to the value that we bring, and we have a different relationship with each other as to how we value each other. And factor in, you know, our kind of life life circumstances as well. Awesome. So I, yeah, this is great. So one in each client, right? What's the maximum timeline? Do you take two three months to work with them? I mean, or what? Within a week? <laughs> Multi year. Multi year. Wow. Or, organizational change takes time. Takes time. Yeah. Yeah. So multi year, like what? A minimum of two years. It really depends. Yeah, it really depends. Um, so I guess this is where, you know, the, the different types of work, you know, we have an academy um, on the greater than, you know, it's, it's part of the greater than um, piece of work. So sometimes we may come in and we may run internal training that lasts for three months. That's, you know, one example. Um, and that's a very specific closed piece of work. But all of the organizational work that we do um, particularly organizations that you know as we described earlier they understand that the paradigm is shifting they understand that they're this new paradigm this new way of of being this new way of working this new um sort of generative integrated organization um that work takes time because um the story of the old paradigm, you know, the what Lena was beautifully describing right at the beginning, this, you know, the story of extraction, this, you know, continuous, um, uh, this idea that the world is 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 continuously giving um, and recognizing that, that it's about shifting the conversation to a different place, which is the world is limited. The resources are limited in the natural world. 
but actually having asking the questions of your organization in particular when we think about you know in terms of scarcity it's sort of coming back to thinking about you know what is the potential in the organization it takes time to see that it takes time to uh sense into it and so most of the time uh that we work with clients we're looking at an average of two to three years um but it, and i think it's a really important point to note from the moment that we arrive in an organization we are trying to make ourselves redundant in that organization um, by putting as much of our time into building the capacity to do this within the organization itself so we have no interest as a team in developing any sort of a need for us on an ongoing basis so success for us looks like um you are you're doing it you know you're you're adopting these practices there's energy in the organization and that the the change is being led by the organization supported by us awesome and so I how think, is this oh, yeah yeah i was just gonna just building on what mary mentioned i guess um uh, one thing we observe is that um uh, people can operate with the sense of like a scarcity of time mm -hmm. and we're sort of trying to flip that and say you need you need to actually take the time like if you think this can if you think you can change your ways of working just like that it's that's just not the reality of how people um, change and how we are as people mm -hmm. um, and so and you know and I think Mary kind of worth noting the, the ways in which we engage with our clients that, that can go from kind of like one-on-one -on -one coaching with just kind of one person and supporting them in their, you know, leadership journey and how they can influence change from their positions of leadership. Um, the sort of the training piece, which which is is quite contained, um, you know, training course has a start, middle, end. Um, and then there's kind of that ongoing accompaniment piece. Is there another way in which and those all have different sort of timeframes and we're working either with one person, mm -hmm. a team, a whole organization. So we're working at different scales in terms of the number of people and different depth in terms of, you know, the ground we cover with, with mm -hmm. those people. Is there, a, would there be a um, fourth, fifth, sixth way? No, I think, I mean, I think you've, you've you know, you've categorized beautifully um, broadly. I think, you know, the other, the other really is just focusing on the, the the practices that we use. So a lot of it will be um, workshop-based, dialogue-based, um, yeah, really sort of building up that relational, uh, the relationship building capacity in all of us as individuals. So, you know, as Lena said, we might focus one-on-one -on -one coaching with individuals to help them build their capacity to be more um, productive, I guess, for want of a better word, uh, in, in actually relating to each other as a team because because really again you know you're shifting from this this individual culture the culture of me to the culture of we and mm -hmm. so what do each of us as individuals as the me's need to build in ourselves and know about ourselves and learn about ourselves so that when we show up to be in the we we are of service to others and we're of service you know to the purpose and and that we kind of understand how to wrangle our egos a little bit that's really important you can't be a we if you're driven primarily by your own ego 
Well, you can, but you won't get very far. You won't get far. <laughs> so how, who is coaching? Is it online now or do you go to the site and speak to the Depends. person? Oh, yeah, both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Both. Both. Both and yeah, both. Both and so, all. Was this a pandemic proof business? Did you guys have an issue during uh, COVID? We thrived. <laughs> we were busier, honestly. We were busier than ever. <laughs> we were busier in the pandemic than we had been prior yeah oh yeah i think i mean a lot of a lot of the the work we were getting in the early days of the pandemic was there was very specific patterns and a lot of it was can you help us make use of social technologies and i'm not talking about just simply technology technology you know products technology products um that allow collaboration and you know collective decision making and distribution of funds like co-budget and lumio and all of the other great tools that have come out of inspiral over the years um but also what we describe as social technology you know so it's what i was describing how do i build the capacity in myself to show up um because i think one of the biggest challenges that we were seeing is teams were really struggling not just with being at home and being isolated and being alone but the technology, the need to be online was actually showing up as a team that just didn't know how to be in relationship to each other. So there was a lot of that in the early days, you know, how do we team under the circumstances and what new skills might we need to learn? So we did, we did a lot of work with organizations um, during the, be the beginning of the pandemic in those two spaces. Give us better tools, teach us how to use them, um, but also give us better practices so we can be together and look after each other. Yeah. I mean, okay. it, it's sort of just telling that um, the way Greater Than was set up, in a sense, was um, really well uh, placed for a situation like you know, none of us could have imagined there'd be a pandemic, right? However, yeah. these ways of working that, you know, we have been practicing for years and years and years before um, meant we, we were very well placed to to kind of um uh, you know go do well mm. um at that moment in time and mm. and it's kind of continuing on still for us mm. and and we were just standing on the shoulders of giants i think that's important um while we are working in a unique way i guess in terms of greater than the work that we do with clients there is a long history before us of people who have been thinking about complex adaptive systems, have been thinking about shared economies, have been thinking about, you know, new economies. Um, and we're we're just fortunate enough to have worked with a lot of those people who um, who have sort of helped us embed and and integrate a lot of that, you know, amazing thinking that was done decades before we arrived on the scene. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, I have one final question. So this is really good. Uh, a, a good uh, thing that businesses should have, but some might be apprehensive about spending money on um, on your services for whatever reasons. So especially companies that have a high turnaround, like you know people who don't stay in the organization, mainly startups. Startups, you know, they tend to have a, a high turnaround. So what would be your message for them? for these companies? Dumbstruck, which is unusual <laughs> for me. I mean, I guess my message for these companies would be, um, particularly in the startup space, 
you know, your products could be outstanding. Your product may transform the world, but your people will be what creates and sustains and helps your business thrive and succeed. Um, customers will only take you so far, you know, so I think acknowledging that your people are what matter most and people who feel invested in, listened to, able to participate in the decision making around the organization and the future of the, the company, um, those people will stick around. <laughs> your turnover may not be as high. Um, and in my own experience from working on high performing teams, and I've been, I realize now, 30 years into my career, that that's unique, that a lot of people have never had that experience, which really makes me sad. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's at the heart of it. You know, I was lucky enough to work with with amazing bosses who got that, who understood that at the heart, that it was about the team, it was about the people, and all her efforts, all of their efforts, were into um, were put into that first and foremost, and then the good fortune flowed as a result. Yeah, actually, that's a great answer because uh, startups tend to squeeze every dollar from mm. the employee, not giving them time to, you know, you know, some employees mm. might have really good ideas, mm -hmm. like how to bring the company. Mm. Back. Yeah, mm. that's a good. Um, mm. And I'd be keen to hear Lena's perspective because yours, you've been around as long as I have. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's interesting because I, I kind of think, well, I suppose for those founders, you know, um, who might want to be thinking about what legacy are they leaving? So if you want a legacy of a long line of broken people that you crushed the soul out of, sure, keep doing what you're doing. Whereas if you want your legacy to be uh um you know everybody who kind of came through your doors and spent some amount of time contributing to the product that you know has kind of gone on to to bring you whatever level of fame and and wealth and prosperity you know like what what's the legacy you want do you want that kind of group of people to be people who are proud to say that they had some association with you and you know were connected to you and felt like they, they they were appreciated, or do you want your legacy to be yeah a long line you know whatever that turnover is, every one of those per people is a person that you know got burnt out under your leadership, and I don't know that just feels really compelling to me. I'm like, well, you know, in in my final final moments when I'm taking my final breath, I um, I hope that I can look back at everybody who ever sort of worked under whatever my leadership was that um you know that i missed you know that i'm that i'm a person that was beloved to them um not a person that they you know have um horrible thoughts about because i treated them horribly so there's kind of a piece there around for founders who have a sense of what their legacy might want to be in regards to the relationships um, that they made possible at work awesome that's a great answer so all right that's all the time that we have for today we have just been speaking to Lena Patel um, and um, Mary Okef. Uh, both of them are from Greater Than, 
and one is in Wellington and another one is in Melbourne. So thank you so much, ladies, uh, for giving us uh, a really good explanation on what you do and how you can help businesses and regardless of any uh, size and uh, why it is important to get your, your uh, services. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank Thanks you. for having us, June. Great talking to you. Thanks, Bye. Lena. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>